that's most unfortunate but yes they are able to do that and they can then also put you on the next airplane back if you don't meet certain criteria there are laws policies and regulations in place you know how they want to enforce them is the tricky bit I'm not sure why for the refugees who do not have a legal paper when it comes to the border was basically a very obvious foul purpose and then become, they also have to follow all kinds of red tapes. But when it comes to a international students, it's just that easy. Step of a finger, you are good to go. Goodbye. So is there any double standard? If it gets much worse than it could, I'd say at some point it's not going to be worth all the trouble. And there might be alternatives in other countries that where people are more welcome. These students are going to spend a lot of money if they go to America. So why give money to a country that where the government hates you and where some of the people hate you? At the moment, I think that it's still worth trying to go. I hope it gets better. I hope it doesn't get worse. A lot's going to depend on the election. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. Joining our discussion on the unfair treatment suffered by Chinese students in the U.S. are Harvey Zoden, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Dr. Edward Lehman, Founder and Managing Director of China-based law firm Lehman, Li and Xu, and Dr. Chiang, Research Fellow of Beijing Foreign Studies University. Great to have you all back on the show, gentlemen. So Chinese nationals have been warned to be careful when flying through Washington's Dallas International Airport. A statement issued by China's embassy in the U.S. says, Over the past few months, dozens of Chinese students with proper documents have been interrogated for hours, faced with groundless accusations and, in some cases, even deported by force upon arrival. So let me start with Dr. Chi. Have you heard of any students from your university being in such a situation when entering the States recently? Well, we have heard a lot of those kind of cases happening recently. But, you know, fortunately, uh, my university focused on, you know, liberal arts study. Uh, you know, we have a limited relation uh, with, you know, natural science, what, what we call the STEM you know, majors or disciplines. So I think that's the reason why. And we also have very limited numbers of students comparing to those, you know, big universities like, uh, you know, science and technology university in different, different, uh, you know, provinces. So uh, our students themselves are not encountering, you know, this unfortunate situation. But we do heard that we did hear that many, uh, you know, other students are from my, you know, co-workers university. They They've been in such a kind of a very difficult situation. And I don't think it's a very fair, you know, treatment towards those, you know, young students. Mm. As we said, um, it's just about um, a few dozens. Um, given the total number of Chinese students um, studying in the U.S., standing at around 290,000, is a dozen considered um, negligible, Dr. Chi? No, I don't think this is a uh, small case, especially... You know, there are arguments like what you have mentioned compared to the very large sheer number of Chinese university students. And what happened recently, the number compared to the sheer number can be, you know, ignored. But I don't think this is uh, a right argument. The reason why is that, you know, every year, even though China have a very large team of university graduates or students, but 
the numbers of them going, you know, uh, overseas for further study are very limited. They only have, you know, uh, like 50, uh, 500,000 or more together. You know, uh, this is a, not a very large number. And secondly, I think any country, you know, any modernized country, advanced country with rule of law, we usually follow one important, you know, principle. That is, you cannot assume people are guilty unless you have very, very clear and affirmative, you know, evidence. Otherwise, people will be innocent before you can prove anything. So when the students has, you know, go across the customs and they've been locked down in the you know, little dark room, which has already indicated that, you know, the customs officials have already assumed that they are quasi criminals or they have some problems. You know, even if you are, you know, try to pull some similar kind of the treatment towards some potential, you know, drug traffickers, you still need a signal from the sniffing dogs in a customs, right? Unless they will bark towards your luggage. Um, mm. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any excuse to, you know, hold them into custody. So I think this kind of treatment towards students with specific nationality, towards students with specific, you know, degrees or study areas can be a foul deed and action, you know, and against international, you know, behavior standard and conduct of law. Mm. Uh, I believe we'll hear more explanation of, of that um, from our legal expert here. But let me go to uh, our American guest here, Harvey. Why were the cases concentrated in the Dallas International Airport? I'm not sure if you are aware of whether it happened at any other points of entry, but why in Washington? Why the Dallas International Airport? The answer is, it's a good question without an uh, without any answer at the moment, uh, Tuyun, I think we just we have, just have to speculate. Uh, either the Department of Homeland Security, which should be better named the Department of Homeland Insecurity, was ordered to conduct this witch hunt as a demonstration to Washington elites because Dulles is just a few miles from the Capitol. Or it was a rogue operation that shows that President Biden has lost control over his own government agencies. And of course, both alternatives are unacceptable. But I have to say that there's a real irony here. There's many ironies in this situation, but a real irony is that uh, these hostile actions took place at Dulles Airport. Who was Dulles? John Foster Dulles was President Eisenhower's Secretary of State. His brother, Alan Dulles, was head of the CIA. These guys were a tag team match of Cold Warriors prosecuting the Cold War using every dirty trick they could muster, including staging coups and assassinations. And an interesting aside, in 1954, when America and China had no diplomatic relations and there was great hostility between uh, our country and China, Secretary of State Dulles at a meeting in Geneva, Switzerland, deliberately snubbed Zhou Enlai, China's first premier, even refusing to shake his hand, which protocol required. Uh, he said that he and Zhou would only meet in a car crash. So when President Nixon went to China in 1972 and upon arrival, uh, protocol dictated that Joe extend his hand first. But Nixon, aware of the dullest snub, quickly reached out to Joe to shake his hand first as a sign of friendship. And this set the tone of the historic week 
that uh, changed the world. It was a little known story, but it was revealed in Nixon's uh, memoir. So this is a quite a big irony that it's happening in Dulles. So that's my speculation about the whole thing, actually. Mm, thanks for the history lesson. And uh, to Ed, it seems it's logical or sensible for such things happening at the Dulles International Airport, as um, Harvey just explained. But from your perspective, or have you heard of anything or um, learned about anything about about this, um, you know, so many cases happening there, the reasons behind that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly learned that uh, that it was at Dulles. I mean, there's just for everyone's edification, just to try to put the numbers somewhere in perspective. There are 328 points of entry into the United States that, you know, that process people coming into the United States. Dulles is, is uh, you know, is outside the District of Columbia, but it services that sort of that tri-state area, I guess. I mean, there's Ronald Reagan Airport, but that, which is right within the District of Columbia, which is the capital, but it accepts very few international flights. The majority of them are, are in Dulles, as was you know, it was pointed out, I mean, it's right near the nation's capital and there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously the, uh, the American federal government is, is headquartered there. So perhaps it, it could be focused on that. Now, what I've read is, again, there's, there were probably eight cases. And I think that that was what was mentioned by the ambassador, the Chinese ambassador of the United States. I believe that was right with the numbers, but that's something like uh, when you consider that there are 290,000 students, Chinese students in the United States, that's roughly the size of the city of Cincinnati, just to try to give you uh, some idea about mm. it, or Oklahoma City, or there's a laundry list of cities that are, are about that size, you know, 290 to 300,000 people. And to talk about incidences where there are eight or 12 or even dozens, the, the, you're talking about with eight, it's, it turns out to be something like 0.002% of all students that are in the United States have have uh, had this kind of thing happen to them. So I think the number sounds actually really low with those that could be stopped. And I'm, you know, and, and it, it probably as Harvey uh, and certainly our uh, guest in the United States, pretty familiar with the entrance of, you know, coming into the United States for Chinese citizens and for ourselves uh, when we return. You know, it's not necessarily insecurity, but I mean, the idea that customs and uh, is not there to help you. <laughs> They're actually there to uh, to kind of nitpick many in many instances over these applications. And you know, just just to kind of parse it down and to make it a little bit more clear, you know, when you come in, it's called a non-immigrant visa. So these, and we we don't know for sure what what these eight or dozens of of students have what, what they were coming in precisely. If they were students, they could have been exchanged, which is a J visa. Uh, they could have come in on a student visa, filled out an, an ICE, you know, a um, I-20, which which gives a bunch of data and information. The I-20 is coming from the university. And if there's some information in that I-20, it's just a governmental form that's inconsistent with what that person says when they enter the country, then it can cause confusion. Um, so I'm not trying in any way, shape or form to, to, to allocate or to protect those officers or the customs folks, but I'm just telling you what they're confronted with. Um, and, and I'll give you an example that we can all understand. If you're at any airport and you say you have a bomb inside of your suitcase, people have to do something, okay? If you have paperwork that's inconsistent with 
what it is you're saying. So you say, hey, I'm coming to study and you, might, you see your paperwork and someone says, well, what, what's your goal? Well, I would like to work in the United States one day. That's the equivalent. You move out of the zone of being a student and into some other zone. So they might have said something. Again, Obviously, yeah. If, if a student carries something dangerous, uh, he's reasonably be, be removed from the scene or deported. But according to the Chinese embassy, those students who have been barred from entering the, uh, the States, held valid visas, had no criminal record. Uh, yeah. They had the, their electronic devices checked, prohibited from communicating with anyone outside, and, and in some cases uh, were held for some 10 hours. And they were asked questions like uh, whether your studies were, were financed by the Chinese government, if they were members of the Communist Party of China or its youth arm, if their research was linked to the Chinese government, Chinese military, or key state laboratories, you're saying these are common practices at border control. Well, legally speaking, they can ask those questions. I mean, are they appropriate questions? I mean, I, I, I don't personally think so. But I mean, are, are they uh, legally able to ask those questions? The answer is yes. Fortunately or unfortunately, it, it's kind of a limbo situation because once your feet hit the ground in the United States, one is entitled to due process. The question is, you know, were they entitled to due process? Did they know enough to say, I would like a lawyer to be present before I do any other further speaking? People can have valid visas. And of course, they they must, you know, usually when when you get on on the airplane coming from China, the, the airline is obligated to check whether the visa is valid or not. So, I mean, obviously, the first step is you go to the consulate or the embassy in China, one of the missions here, then you get it issued. But then the customs and entry people have their own, you know, process on which to do, you know, whether to allow them to come in. Now, do they, did they or uh, have uh, no criminal record? I mean, the devil is in the details or God's in the details with regards to each of these cases. And the cases are not made public. And I wish that they would make them public. And, and so that someone can come forward. You're entitled to to sue. And, you know, certainly we have enough lawyers in the United States that are looking for work, you know. And so but yes, they are entitled to ask those questions. It's not it's not comfortable. And I think Harvey can certainly remember. And I do is that when I was first you know, dealing with with Chinese going to the United States, there was a question. Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party, which was a question on the visa application itself? It was a question on many things, Ed. This is kind of boilerplate. Even if you applied for a job as a civil servant, But, um, you mm. had to answer that question. This was during the Red Scare and the McCarthy era. Right. The, well, but even later than that, but certainly during the McCarthy and, era, just, I, mean, my, I had a professor who was wanting to be admitted into the state of Illinois. This is during the McCarthy era. And that was a question. You didn't want to answer it. And it was... Uh, And he was not allowed to be admitted to the bar, by the way. Mm. He was not a member of the country. That was decades ago. But, Ed, are you hinting that um, those dozens of Chinese students, they were trying to make a scene of what happening at the airport and uh, reported to the embassy? No, I, I don't think they were trying to make a scene. I, don't, I, think that, I, I think there's a lot of anxiety people have when they travel, uh, first of all. And, and under post-COVID, I think people are under the double anxiety as well. I think coming to a new country, and I don't know if it's the first time that they've come, but I think that there's a, a built-in mechanism where you know folks are perceiving things maybe in, in a different way. And what I'm saying is, is that the words that they use, you've got documents that say one thing. If the words that you use say something else, I'm, I'm not talking about having bombs in, in the or any kind of dangerous stuff, it automatically 
flags you and then it brings you into a, a place in which you have to have further discussion. You know, so I, I, I don't know the contents. Uh, I, well, they did mention, I think it was Yale University was one of the schools, uh, University of Maryland. Um, it didn't mention whether they were STEM su- students or not, you know, the, with regards to the ones that they have made public, but they, they don't identify. And I think it's a good thing not to. But certainly, let's go back to the, the thing, is that they're entitled to ask questions when you arrive. And I'm sure they do for with eight Harvey, hours, they do with, eight to 10 hours, is yeah. it? I mean, that's most unfortunate. But yes, they, they are able to do that. And they can then also put you on the next airplane back if, if you don't meet certain criteria. There are laws, policies and regulations in place. You know, how they want to enforce them is the tricky bit. And obviously, these are not appropriate, you know, 10 hours is not, you know, it's a lot of time to try to break this down. But they could be trying, I mean, in, um, let's just try to play as devil advocate here for a moment. It might be eight hours or 10 hours where they're trying to get a hold of someone from the university. It might be eight or 10 hours where they're trying to get a hold of different people that are, you know, that are listed uh, as contacts or guarantees. I'm not saying that's the case, but it's it might not be able to be done in a very short period of time. Uh, and maybe they process them for a long time. And, and in many instances, many instances where they have these uh, long interrogations, they let folks in, you know, they, they, they guarantee is that I-20 authentic or not authentic? You know, there might be all kinds of things going on uh, that we don't know about. I, I'm not trying to defend them. I'm just trying to say realistically, you know, let's, let's be calm about this. And, and, I, and Harvey may be very well right. Maybe they're targeting Chinese. This would not be the first federal agency that has openly targeted Chinese, you know, under the uh, Chinese the FBI was openly uh, targeting them. Uh, they had to backpedal that, and that was under the Biden administration. I, I, I don't know if it started under the Trump administration or not, but it was the, called the Chinese Initiative. So, you know, as the professor was saying earlier, this, you know, the non-STEM people are probably subject to less scrutiny, but th- that might not be true as well. Because, oh. I mean, they didn't want the Confucius mm-hmm. Institute right. in many places. A, so, right. But they yeah. coincidentally, all those with uh, sensitive issues, all chose to enter the States from that airport and all, you know, encounter similar problems there or be forcibly de- deported. Or Yep. That's how it works. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't they say that they chose Dulles Airport because today we don't have many flights uh, between China and the U.S. And because of that, the choices are are limited. So I wouldn't say they chose it. And I'm I'm sure now the uh, students will try to have a workaround to avoid this kind of discriminatory practice. So everything that uh, Ed said is absolutely true. But these officers of DHS, Department of Homeland Security, they have to follow the Constitution and the federal laws and regulations. DHS claims that it respects civil rights and civil liberties of travelers and that they don't discriminate based on race, ethnicity, nationality, or religion. But I'd say based on the experience of these students, these Chinese students who had valid visas and who followed all laws and regulations to the letter, as far as we know, um, I think the audience can draw their own conclusions. But to me, these actions, they violate the Fourth Amendment, which protects against unreasonable search and seizures, and the Fifth Amendment, which guarantees due process and equal protection under the law. These Chinese students who were held for so many hours weren't even allowed to contact their parents. Mm. So 
in China, you have a saying, uh, you kill the chicken to scare the monkey. So uh, I, I think um, that saying may apply here. I, I think while the government says it welcomes Chinese and all people wants to improve relations and things, here's an example where they want to uh, scare Chinese students into coming to America and to keep them out uh, because uh, those students uh, are obviously being made to feel uh, un welcome. So I think it's a part of the political uh, persecution that we thought was dealt with in San Francisco uh, a few months ago, but obviously hasn't. Or the government uh, is not coordinating well because they're not following what was uh, agreed uh, and certainly the spirit of what President Biden and President Xi uh, agreed in San Francisco. I, I think it's really a deplorable thing. The uh, U.S. certainly has a right to ferret out spies and to end espionage as China or any government does. But it seems like in this case, there was more going on. This has been the Child Lounge. When we come back, how may Washington respond to Beijing's call? Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We've been discussing the unfair treatment of Chinese students causing shadows on Sino-U.S. relations. And Dr. Chi, do you think it's what those students encounter was um, excessive, especially when compared to with what you um, met when you were a student trying to entering the States, your previous experience? Well, I'm not quite sure about the details when those students, you know, get across the customs. But one thing I do know is America is a very diversified country. Um, different states have very different law enforcement and even different laws. Texas recently have some beef with federal government, especially with President Biden. That's for sure. So I don't think both presidents shaking hands means anything towards a country in a very, you know, in a very chaotic political opinions like in America, especially taxes are having, you know, its squabbles with federal government recently. So I think they do have all kinds of, you know, reason to give some hard time to Biden's administration and his policy, all kinds of policies, including the policy of the foreign relations. Recently, what I've experienced in California, in Massachusetts, I think the customs are actually very friendly. I personally witnessed a Russian couple get across uh, American customs. Russian couple, which means there are two countries in a very, very big conflict right now, and the Russian couple basically don't speak any English. But eventually, still, with the help of translator, I think, uh, you know, Massachusetts customs let them go, let them pass. And without asking many of the questions, of course, uh, Chinese students and the Chinese scholars wouldn't even face any troubles. There are just regular routine questions about where you live, what, what you're doing here, uh, how long you're going to stay, what kind of visa you have, something like that. But I do hear that in uh, Texas or in some, you know, uh, Republican votes dominated states. The situation can be different. They have more of the questions towards the students. Some are very, very tricky. 
and sometimes misleading. So I don't think the students, you know, they are like 20-something. They only know, uh, you know, their subjects, uh, their credit score, and, uh, you know, basic things about their studies would understand where these questions are leading them to. So um, I think some of the students, after one or two, you know, kinds of the tricky questions, they probably will fall in some conversation traps and lead to unnecessary, you know, detentions of them. Mm. So that can happen. And many of uh, my friends used to encounter that kind of situation. They are very seasoned, you know, uh, adults. And uh, so sometimes they also face a lot of questions. Uh, they've been have to stay in the, you know, little room for a very, very long time. Eventually, even though they get out, but still, it's a lot of trouble. Yeah, you said it could be a derivative. Prof- I need to correct something that right. the professor said, because... Uh, when you come into the country, you're subject to um, federal law at the border. Uh, let's, this, the dispute in Texas is a, about Trump and politics and things like that. So I, I don't think that applies. But I, I think what is true from what the professor said is that um, a lot of people in law enforcement uh, may come from the South or maybe con- uh, more conservative, and they may harbor attitudes that are different from, let's say, liberals who grew up in New York. So there could be some element of prejudice here. But those officers from Department of Homeland Security are bound to follow uh, the Constitution, just as Governor Abbott of Texas is bound to follow it, but chooses to ignore it. You could say in America, we already have uh, a few battles of the Civil War going on already. And this is not ending. This is just these are opening shots. So the country is really messed up at the moment and has to get its act together. So I I think that uh, this is a deplorable situation, which has many ramifications, actually. Indeed. uh, You both listed some reasons behind that. I'm I'm wondering, this may not be so closely related, um, but is it the case that unlike the British higher um, education sector, U.S. universities don't rely that much on tuition fees from uh, international students. So, you know, those uh, immigration officers, they don't have concerns in this regard. So they could, uh, I'm not saying they do whatever they uh, they like or they want to the students. It's just um, they don't have such concerns, uh, Harvey. I don't know. I, I think when there were many Chinese students studying in America, I can tell you because I've talked to university presidents in America that they relied on those students, that those students were cash cows. Now with this, this, what's going on, those cash cows are being slaughtered. So I would say that it is, there is an economic factor here and the U.S. is being harmed economically by denying these students. So uh, I have to disagree with you in, in this case, uh, All right. unfortunately. <laughs> no problem. Um, Ed, you, you mentioned about those students, they can use... Uh, legal means to protect their own interest. But I'm wondering what kind of um, means they can refer to. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they can, obviously, they've experienced some kind of what we would call a tort, some kind of, uh, I mean, a contract has been sort of breached. They got in an airplane, they paid money, they paid money to the school, you know, they, they arrived, they had all their pay. I mean, the, if I was their advocate, this is what, what I would be saying, you know, they, they follow the laws, policies, and regulations of uh of being able to enter the country, we're not able to do so. And, um, you know, I, I certainly would recommend that, and, and they've done some of these things already, it seems like, but, 
you know, obviously document everything, keep detailed records of the incidents, uh, including the dates, time, locations, your name and badge numbers of the officers. I mean, you're entitled to that information. It's it's kind of information that a Chinese wouldn't necessarily want to do. I mean, it, it wouldn't be informed to do so. But I mean, you can say, hey, could I have your badge number and your officer who? You know, I think that that the the cultural approach probably from most Chinese people would be to be less aggressive or to not make those inquiries because they would only think that it makes matters worse. I also, it does. I mean, it does make matters worse. Have you ever tried asking an officer for their badge number or for their identification? You're likely to get shot or punched out. I, I think that I think that that's a in the ideal world, but in the real world, Ed, I don't think I don't think that happens. I really I don't. And I think here you have a case where these Chinese students they may be smart and are uh, going to Yale and not uh, uh, Sam Houston oh, Institute of Technology or somewhere like that, but they're not experienced. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I enter United States, I always uh, worry a little bit about whether I'm going to be admitted or not. I think everybody has uh, this fear because it's a profound authority against uh, one person. And and you talk, Ed, about the fact that these people have legal recourse and things. Yeah, theoretically they do, and maybe later after the fact. But these students right. were not even, as I understand it, allowed to contact their parents. Mm. So they, if they couldn't contact their parents, how, they, how are they going to contact a lawyer? Right. No, no, I, no I, I was just, I mean, I was asked just if if they have legal recourse, the answer is yes. Were they, uh, they're not entitled uh, during that period of time, which is very, very unusual with the, uh, with the laws you were just citing before, Harvey, that, uh, you, so you're not entitled to uh, a lawyer at that point in time. Um, and they can take your phone away. And all of this has to do with the Patriot Act. All of it has to do with uh, the laws, policies, and regulations that, you know, have been put in place to try to stop or combat uh, terrorism or money laundering or whatever the heck it is. But once you uh, arrive into the United States, I mean, to have your phone taken away from you and they be examined by the officers, it can be done uh, based on these laws. Whether they're constitutional or not is another thing, and it hasn't been really tested. I don't disagree with you, by the way, of asking about badge numbers and uh, officers involved. I'm just saying, if you're to have a case one would hope that you would have that. You may not have that. They have badges on and they do have numbers on them. I think, you know, in 10 hours, you have plenty of time to probably memorize that stuff. But I, I don't disagree. <laughs> you know, when you try to meet authority in a indignant way or whatever, in a, hey, I know my rights kind of way. And you and I are both legally trained. Uh, yes, I am like you. When I enter into the country and I go through customs, I'm thinking, you know, that something bad could happen to me in this in this thing, uh, having lived and worked in China for a long time. So it's not it's not limited to those who are just visiting. And, and yeah, that's going if it's my difficult, yeah, if it's difficult for to uh, to American citizens to put into practice, um, I bet it's also difficult for you know those twenty uh, something Chinese students. And I do think there is something unusual there. Otherwise, the, the Chinese embassy wouldn't have to put forward some um, a representation or opposition to the um, the American side and urge them to protect the, the rights of the Chinese students. So, Dr. Chu, from your perspective, Harvey said that there are, obviously there are some um, political issues inside the country or political tensions leading to such a phenomenon. From your perspective, What's the biggest driving cause behind that? Well, I, I do think 
even though I think in America, I do agree that Constitution played a very important role. And I also very, you know, respectfully agree and to say that in America, most of the law enforcement, you know, agency and officers respect the constitutions. But in an actual and a realistic, you know, scenario, uh, different officers, they will have their different standard. Uh, they will have their personal judgment when they encounter specific cases. That's things we also encountered in America. For example, if you are, if you're speeded in certain of the neighborhood, but you happen to be a donor for the local, uh, you know, police unions fund, and then probably they will let you go if you didn't stir any kind of trouble, if you didn't, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, cost any kinds of the injury uh, or casualty, right? So that is what we call it, specific cases and specific you know, individuals' opinion towards, you know, cases. Mm. So I do think the reason why we think uh, international travelers are treated fairly, you know, well in the states like California or Massachusetts, but we always hear certain kind of the similar cases happening, you know, in uh, in Texas. I think if you say there's nothing political in there, I don't think anyone would, uh, you know, fully believe in that, right? And also, I think... Um, According to you know what we have heard in uh, in those cases, uh, they just ask them some bunch of questions and then just rip off their visa pages and just let them go. Uh, you know, uh, put them on the next uh, plane and just let them go. Mm. I mean, there also are double standard in there. So first of all, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert on America law, but if the law enforcement officers are entitled to just give them a judge and you know the judgment and then. Directly, you know, without any legal process, there's no judge, there's no lawyer because of just a Q&A based on just a Q&A. I will just rip off your visa page and just let you go because there are potential, you know, financial losses. The visa cost money, application for the university cost money. They probably they booked hotels or rented a room in there and all kinds of assets related and, you know, honor related issues behind this. And without the judge, without a jury, without any, you know, uh, you know, legal process, you just let them go. It means it's an officer, it's a law enforcement, it's a judge, as well as, you know, they are everything. They are the God at that very moment. I'm not sure that is, you know, in line with America's spirit of rule of law. And in many other states yeah. in America, I do think it's kind of a disgustful. If it is in line with America's rule of law, and then I will come to the question about the, you know, uh, the refugees and also the uh the recent, uh, you know, incidents happens on, on the border of America and Mexico. There are many people who try to smuggle into American border. And according to, you know, the interference of federal government, many of the so-called refugees are not that easily to be, you know, sent back to their own country with only the judgment of the Border Patrol or the police officers. Indeed. And they have to put them into they have to put them in the center of the refugee and wait for the order, wait for all kinds of discussion happens between the governors and the federal officials, and then even waited for the further judgment from the you know, Supreme Court. I'm not sure why for the refugees who do not have a legal paper when it comes to the border was basically a very obvious foul purpose, and then they become, they also have to follow all kinds of red tapes. But when it comes to a international students, it's just that easy. Snap of a finger, you are good to go. Goodbye. So... Is there any double standard? If you say, okay, we treat anyone with the same process, the same standard, okay, we respect that because you have different culture, you have different law, rule of law. But if you do it in a very different way, hmm, I think 
something need to be changed. Mm. Um, Harvey, is it just because of the anti-China, um, I don't know, would you call it vibe or inside the states? Uh, well, uh, I mean, I, I think this is a federal matter, but as has been pointed out, people have their own opinions and it's hard to divorce your own opinions from your official uh, duties. But I think a lot of what's driving this is uh, that American people, elites and otherwise, and uh, the Trumpers especially, are saddened that it seems like uh, China has beaten the United States uh, in one or more respects. And because of that, nobody likes to be number two. And I think this is a natural reaction to China coming from such a poor country, being the first or second largest economy in the world, depending on how which economic measure you use. And a lot of people in America still believe in what the Dulles uh, brothers believed, and that's American exceptionalism, that America was chosen by God to lead the people of the world and the uh, white supremacy of America to lead the other races of the world. And I'm sorry, but I think that this is still a factor in, in this day and age. And so, yes, I think it's being okay. driven by the fact that um, there's a perception in America that uh, America is not uh, doing as well as it was. And uh, this is a irrational, maybe rational uh, reaction of many Americans from the very top to the very mass of people, that there's a, a concern that this balance is shifting. And throughout history, no power has been at the top forever, not even China that was a big power for so many millennia. So these things come in peaks and valleys. And I believe that we're in the valley now in America of being concerned uh, that we're losing it. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. I remember both Harvey, you, you and Ed uh, mentioned what the Chinese students been suffering reminds you of uh, this McCarthy era. So I'm wondering whether this McCarthyism has already returned in full swing in the States. Yeah, to, to me, uh, I think the McCarthy era was much more severe and it was black and white, you're or red and white, you're a communist or you're not a communist, that the communists were taking over the government and think, no, this is not a McCarthy era, but it has uh, overtones of McCarthy era. And I'd like to point out, you know, we talked about history before, that Donald Trump's first lawyer, Roy Cohen, who was a closeted gay man uh, who uh, went after gays with a vengeance as, as his assistant, uh, legal assistant, legal counsel to Senator Joseph McCarthy. Uh, he's the person who taught Donald Trump, a young Donald Trump, his client, how to behave, to never accept the judgment of a court, to always uh, fight to the last appeal, to be belligerent. And so in that sense, I think there is history and there is some connection to the McCarthy era, but I don't think this is a new McCarthy era that was much more severe, but it certainly has elements of it. Ed? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree that uh, we're moving into something very odd here. Is it, the, and it, it seemed that that was quite black and white. It almost seems, um, and, and very clear. This, what we have here is something, I think it's more insidious, 
which is, and the professors pointed it out as well, is these wild inconsistencies. So you've got people who are crossing illegally in, in the southern border or wherever, okay, and they're being given a cell phone and, and given a, a time in which that they can have a hearing in which they can return. They're being, you know, some of the, in some instances, they're being bussed up to different parts of the United States. They're being accommodated at hotels. Uh, they're being accommodated. There's, there's the if there are students and the, there aren't that many of them, but uh, mostly single men. But um, they are given priority in, you know, in schools and being protected. On the other hand, you've got these Chinese nationals who are coming and going to Yale or uh, the different schools we talked about, and uh, they're sitting eight or ten hours to do it. So this wild inconsistency is is very troubling, and it should be. And the professor talked a little bit about local officials in Texas and local officials and, you know, it's for example, in Texas or some of the other more conservative states, Alabama or whatever, whichever ones you want to identify. I mean, this should be, as Harvey had pointed out, that all the folks when you're entering in the 328 different places are with the federal government, DHS, and they should somehow be acting in, in concert. That, But their political viewpoints as individuals is another thing on how they would implement that stuff. But do I think, I mean, there's national security concerns is what they can always point to. And people have pointed to that since the Civil War. So, I mean, we're going to have to take away rights. First World War, we're going to have to take away rights. I mean, during the First World War, uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, the president at the time, introduced something called the Sedition Act, which put Eugene Victor Debs, who was he was running for president in 1920 in prison. So he actually ran from prison. But that was put in place by a Democrat. The Sedition Act was repealed by Warren G. Harding, a Republican, and he was pardoned by a Republican afterwards. So these kind of inconsistencies that you see in history and these kind of inconsistencies that you're seeing now is something about, you know, history not necessarily repeating itself, but it's rhyming. But I think there's also with regards to Chinese and people coming in, there's a lack of cultural understanding. There's a public perception and media influence with regards to what's going on with these folks that are coming in that might play a part in it. And so, you know, these are the types of things that I think are all making a very bad mix. But I think what the students did, which was good, which is very good, is that they reported it to the Chinese government. The Chinese government then in turn made a a complaint and has has made a public uh, discussion uh, both in China and the United States about how they expect to be treated because they should be treated equally under the law. Mm. Um, and they're entitled to that. Right. But this kind of um, inconsistency, as you mentioned, makes people confused uh, because, you know, such incidents come at a at a very, I would say, special time when the two countries are struggling to move closer to each other, right? We see diplomats are holding talks one round after another. And the first Boeing 737 MAX jet delivered to a Chinese airline since uh, March 2019 has landed in China with some hopes of uh, more exports against the backdrop of a a gloomy market outlook. And also these um, conversations on uh, drug control and AI cooperation. What happened to the Chinese students makes people think maybe the bilateral relationship doesn't seem that important to to, to Washington. Um, Dr. Chi, is that the case? Some, some observers say the U.S. might just um, occasionally puts up some shows when, when Washington wants Beijing to fulfill its needs. How sensible is it? Well, I'm not sure about that kind of opinion. I don't think China are a country is a country who will easily, you know, 
to be you know submitted to another nation's will. So I think this kind of uh, you know incident will just make things even worse. Uh, but I think also China understand uh, fairly well. I have heard many times in the meetings that uh, you know Chinese official they always understand that uh, America is not just one country. Uh, they have federal level. They have different states. So sometimes even though on the federal level and China's central level we shake hands, but that doesn't mean you know the uh, different states will follow suit. So on one hand, China do understand you know they probably can. Going to be verified standard being enforced by different states in America, but also you know this kind of a behavior would draw a lot of attention you know uh, of Chinese uh, people as well as Chinese government. So I think that's the reason why Chinese embassy uh, counselors have you know put lots of attention and efforts to try to solve that kind of problem. And uh, if uh, it worth mentioning, that is one of the Chinese consulation uh, in Texas also has faced, you know, very wrongly treatment, uh, you know, uh, the year just not long ago. So I think this is not just a, a single case. I think um, the targeting in certain group of people, targeting at the people with certain, you know, majors, identities, or nationalities, well, just to make things worse. That's my observation. Yeah, just about McCarthyism. I mean, what what do we see that's similar? I mean, we've got suppression of free speech. I mean, okay, that's that was back then. We see it now. The political intolerance we said that was going on back then. We see it now. Fear and self censorship. I mean, was going on back then is now institutional erosion. You know, that was what was alleged back then, and what what is, is allegedly going on right now. The discrimination and profiling. Again, the similarity between McCarthyism and what's happening today. It's manifesting itself in a much different way. And then damage to international relations, of course, and and I think Harvey has brilliantly pointed out about the Dulles brothers and and everyone else. I mean, that was was banging on about that was sort of anti-China, uh, which included Richard Nixon at one point, and and it was him that actually uh, you know healed that rift by coming over. And then there's an erosion of trust in the media that happened during McCarthyism, and we're seeing it here now. Again, it's just it's manifesting itself in a very different way. But I do see that there's there's some similarities. I just wanted to mention that. Right. Then do you expect uh, things like that will lead to, you know, a even sourer relationship between the two sides? Harvey? I think that a lot of what's going on now is because there's an election uh, in November in which Donald Trump has a very good chance of winning and uh, in which President Biden who has terrible poll numbers has a very good chance of losing. It's not necessarily going to be the outcome, but it's a, a possible outcome. So I think a lot of the um, U.S. reaction, and I think even what may have happened at Dulles, um, has the election uh, in the rearview mirror because it's dictating so much activity now in Washington to try to win hearts and minds of the voters. And I think actually the Chinese government is uh, damned if they do, damned if they don't, because if they didn't protest, they wouldn't be doing their job. And because they did protest, uh, this makes uh, headlines, especially in Washington and in the region where this happened. And it gets the certain people riled up and it, it, uh, it goes to uh, other people who support this kind of activity. So I think in the near term, although we're not going to have a McCarthy era, at 
that extreme, we're going to have a very difficult time until January. And we're going to see who the winner is. If it's Biden, we may have a chance of actually implementing the spirit of San Francisco. If it's Trump who wants to impose 60% tariffs on uh, Chinese goods coming into America and other draconian things, just forget about it. I, I can't even contemplate that possibility, but it's a realistic one. And it's something that we all have to worry about. So I hope we can make progress in the next few months, uh, some of which uh, might be irreversible, most of which will not be. I know uh, Dr. Chu is about to take off, but uh, just a few comments from you. Uh, we've seen Beijing urging the U.S. to immediately stop its groundless uh, interrogation or harassment and uh, repatriation of Chinese students. How do you expect the U.S. side to respond? Are we going to see similar uh, scenarios at U.S. airports? Um, well, I do not think the situation will be improved in a very short term or in any time sooner. Uh, because the whole picture right now is very turbulent. And I think before they have a clear answer in a grand uh, election in America of this year, and I don't think they will have a unified voice answering to America's international policy, including China, including their border policy, including their policy towards you know, Europe, uh, you know, uh, even ASEAN nations. So I think this is some throcking pain period of time we have to, you know, tough through. So I think the Chinese effort, Chinese embassy, Chinese official effort in this regard would definitely, you know, call some attention uh, because in America there are many, you know, friendly people, uh, statesmen, you know, diplomats. They're also working towards the same goal. They want to keep cooperation and international, you know, communication as smoothly go on. So I think this positive and the negative force uh, in the international policies of America will keep on, you know, fighting against each other to meet some balance. But still, it's going to be a tough time in the next, uh, you know, uh, 12 months. If you're asked to give students who don't want to go through, you know, the pains previously uh, suffered by those Chinese students, what would you say to them? What I want to say to them is that, you know, always follow the laws and rules in America because you're going to other country, you go to their country, you have to respect their customs, laws and, you know, habits. But also always do your homework before you enter the border. Always, you know, uh, learn all kinds of, you know, legal documents to protect your own rights. You know, and don't get into, don't answer the question just, uh, you know, by making up any, you know, stories. And, uh, you know, always be, you know, simple and true and to stay away from the troubles. Or pick another airport. Yeah, or pick another airport or states. Thank you. And to Harvey and um, Ed, uh, similar questions to you. Sure. My advice to people who are entering the country is, and, and it goes back to what Harvey said, I mean, they're not border security, but border insecurity. I mean, these are not your friends necessarily. This is what I try to tell clients or I tell people or friends that are going to the United States. And, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way to, to the folks that are in those positions, but their job is to sometimes keep people out. And, um, I, you know, silence is golden. I think let the documents speak for themselves when you enter the country. When you start to volunteer information that it becomes inconsistent, then it creates a situation where you've got to be uh, ushered into a, into a sort of second phase with the, with the interrogation. Um, also, I mean, be very mindful about what's on your telephone because 
you can maybe say and the documents can say one thing, but if you're texting somebody and you're saying, you know, let's go out and do whatever. And, uh, you know, I, it has nothing to do with schoolwork or your studies or there, you know, it's about let's get married in Vegas. I mean, some kind of crazy thing like that. All that is discoverable and it shows an inconsistency with your visa. Remember that you're coming in as a non-immigrant, non-working visa, we would assume in, in, in these all of these cases. And if you make an inference that you're going into an immigration visa, like I'm getting married to an American, that if you, if you say something like that when you enter the country, then you've changed your status just with those words, and then you're automatically flagged and you can be interrogated and and not have access to talk to other folks because they would their grounds for saying it is is to try to stop terrorism or stop you from colluding with somebody else on the outside that uh, you're doing some bad thing with. So that's the reason why they're doing it. But my, my advice to them would be be super prepared, be mindful about your electronic data and information before you enter the country. And like the professor said, you know, be polite, which Chinese are very polite. And generally speaking, the customs officers are kind, I mean, and, and mean well. There's some bad apples everywhere, but, uh, you know, even despite people's political beliefs or whatever, they have they should follow the law. I also want to say another thing is that, which we haven't really discussed, is there is a process, just so we're clear on this, and there is a process with flagging someone and then moving them into the into this detention area. There is some kind of due process. You are entitled to have a, an interpreter there's a process with this. They do make an adjudication and you are given a piece of paper. I mean, I've seen people, you know, who've been rejected and have been sent back. They are given documentation under what reason that they were sent back. So uh, there is a process. And then you could legally, like, like Harvey said, it doesn't do a lot of good because you're back in China or some other place, but you can go back and you can try to have some legal recourse for your losses or somehow put together some kind of class action in some way, shape, or form, perhaps, you know, for all these people who are being denied. Great. Uh, Harvey? Well, I would say that if things don't get much worse, the Chinese students and other international students should come to America, especially if they're at the level of Harvard or Yale or Stanford, because those are wonderful educational um, institutions and they'll learn a lot. And we need to continue a dialogue uh, between people from different countries to try to build bridges. But if it gets much worse and it could, I'd say at some point it's not going to be worth all the trouble. And there might be alternatives in other countries that where people are more welcome. These students are going to spend a lot of money if they go to America. So why give money to a country that where the government hates you and where some of the people hate you? At the moment, I think that it's still worth trying to go. I hope it gets better. I hope it doesn't get worse. A lot's going to depend on the election. And let's see if, we, if the American people can get over this election in a reasonable way and go back to business in the positive sense not as it was uh, under the Trump administration, for example. And on that note, we've come to the end of our chat. Many thanks to Harvey Zoden, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Edward Lehman, Founder and Managing Director of China-based law firm Lehman, Lee and Xu, and Dr. Chi Chiang, Research Fellow of Beijing Foreign Studies University, for sharing your experiences and insights. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please email radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. We'll chat again next time.